Can I ask you one question? Um, yeah, sure. For the record. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the first time you heard an alert? I do. That was uh, in a, a town near Vinica that we stayed uh, one night. But the alert was very, very distant. So I don't really remember the time. It was much dissociated. I can say this. Uh, like it, it was very stressful, uh, all that uh, journey to the west of Ukraine. Uh, but uh, the hearing an alert like in uh, very loudly uh, was when we got back to Kiev and there was that loud alert and uh, I heard it for the first time and it was terrifying. It was very scary that time. It was like the first time I contracted and <laughs> it was awful. It, we, we were on the bus uh, train station like and train station could be actually a military or not a military object as a target of uh, strike. But in some time we realized that everything and everyone is a target. Balakun, a bridge to Ukraine. Join the conversation at balakun.org. Балакун міст в Україну. Приєднуйтесь до наших розмов на www.balakun.org. So, hi everyone. Today we have a very special episode and uh, I don't, I won't say that it will be funny at all. We'll have to make it optimistic as life goes on. But this week is 10 years when Russia invaded Ukraine and two years of the biggest war in Europe since the, sec since the Second World War. And we are recording it on the 22nd of February, 2024. And a uh, couple of days has passed uh, after 10 years of war. And uh, the day after tomorrow, we'll have uh, the second anniversary of the full-scale invasion. So today we'll uh, share some uh, memories, uh, think of and talk about some requisites and uh, all the breakpoints that we had in this Hush time. Hello. While I will read what I have prepared, hopefully with time I will be able to speak without text. Um, the story of our evacuation from our home. I and the child, my daughter Alice, boarded the evacuation train. We reached Lviv. From there, um, Polish buses took people 
to the nearest refugee center. And then they helped us find a family in a village in the center of Poland. We spent three wonderful months with this family and returned to Ukraine to my husband. During our absence, the husband evacuated our animals. Two dogs and two cats. All four animals. <laughs> to the center of Ukraine. Unfortunately, we cannot return home because the front line is too close to our home. We currently live in a rented house in Dnipro region. A couple of days ago, I've seen this video on YouTube uh, made by Rahulivna, and she referred to the interview of the former KGB agent, an interview at American television. He escaped Soviet Union and he made gave that interview and he uh, told about four stages of invasion, of ideological and psychological invasion or taking over another country. This interview took place in 1984 and the agent defected from a position in the Russian embassy of India before moving to the US. I don't know whether he's honest or dishonest, but the, uh, it comes like this. The first stage of taking over another nation or another country is demoralization. The first stage uh, takes from 15 to 20 years. During this stage, uh, the uh, very core uh, beliefs and very core uh, logics is spread into minds of people. The second one is destabilization. After a nation is demoralized, it can be destabilized in uh, any position. Then the crisis. The crisis is e more even easier than destabilization because uh, when everyone, everything is, everyone is demoralized and destabilized, it can be just a splash, just a spark, and everything will burst out. And then normalization. And normalization is the phase of taking over. He referred to, I'll just quote him, normalization is a cynical expression of Soviet propaganda. After all, even when Soviet tanks entered Czechoslovakia in 1968, uh, Brezhnev said, now things are normalized here. And this scheme he referred to, he was talking about, was a scheme applied to United States of America. Like he uh, claimed that uh, you, uh, American nation was demoralized, was being demoralized for years and destabilized. But the same thing we can apply to what happened to Ukraine. We had that Soviet background. Everyone was very demoralized human being and human human itself didn't cost anything any human being was considered as a part of something bigger of uh, the greater good and it doesn't matter what you want or who you are 
you don't have your uh, own property, you don't have your belongings, you are just a part of a society. And society, what matters, what mattered. That was the main agenda. Individuals had no value, but collectively you worked for the betterment of the state. For that ghost of communism. And we had that background. So many people just had no belief in themselves. They had no belief in the, their value and their meaning when the soviet union uh, soviet union broke the uprising of ukrainian and, uh, nation started but it was uh, demoralized by this scheme by this particular uh, scheme for years first in 90s there were a lot of ukrainian music ukrainian cinema but in some time, it, it became less and less and less. When YouTube started, we listened to, we watched Russian YouTube as it was very interesting and very little was produced in Ukrainian for Ukrainians. And even if something was produced in Ukraine, it was produced in Russian, so to be sold in Russia. And that was beyond uh, the uh, commercial part it was this demoralization part. So everyone was, not everyone, but the majority was sure that despite we have two different countries, Ukraine and Russia, we had common history, common language, common music, common cinema. And that was this part of demoralization. And also uh, there was this notion or this understanding of common history. And this common history propaganda was uh, that strong that uh, people and children in uh, schools, at schools, were taught this. Like uh, naming the, not the Second World War, but the, the Great Patriotic War. And the dates were not from uh, 1939 till 1945, but from 1941 to 1945. And it was uh, commemorated uh, on the 9th of May, not on the 8th of May, like all the rest of the world uh, commemorated it. So that was the part of propaganda. And I really remember when I was a child, uh, we uh, had these parades, we had this um, cult of uh, victory and everything that goes around it the propaganda was so strong that it was like the it was programmed and it was the core uh, beliefs and core codes in people's minds and there is actually a very big difference between never again and we can repeat it so russia for, for the last years they made it uh, made their motto on that parades we can repeat it and the rest of the world told never again what we had and we uh, how society formed and uh, the main thing um, uh, that kgb agent also said that on demoralization stage uh, when you are demoralized you won't believe 
until you are thrown to that concentration camp, I think that same thing happened to us. We couldn't believe that we would be invaded by Russia. Like we had uh, very much of uh, uh, common and we just seemed to have very much in common, actually. Uh, we traded a lot. We had this cultural uh, assimilation and all that uh, steps were taken on purpose to make us uh, believe that we have much in common, that we are the same. The, the other thing of this demoralization and uh, this propaganda story as we uh, spoke on our very first episode about perceptions, like Ukraine was percepted as a part of Russia. And everyone thought that's their local problem. They would deal by themselves. Second World War, everyone understood that United Kingdom and Germany are different countries. So today's news is... Over... 400 cities to join Stand with Ukraine Global Rally. Over 400 cities will hold peaceful rallies and events as part of the UWS Stand with Ukraine Global Advocacy Campaign, marking the second anniversary of Russian full-scale invasion of Ukraine in the war that has lasted for 10 years. Rallies will take place on February 24th, the largest number of events is planned in Europe and North America. In addition, actions will take place in United Arabian Emirates, India, Thailand, South Korea, Japan, Peru, Brazil, and Argentina. The uh, Ukrainian World Congress and Ukrainska Pravda, a leading Ukrainian media outlet, have developed an interactive map outlining countries, cities, location, dates, and times of the global rally planned for February 24th, 2024. And uh, I think that we, uh, we will add the link to description of uh, this episode uh, so everyone could check uh, the uh, places, their city uh, and the map for, and uh, probably join this rally. The main objective of the Stand with Ukraine campaign is to raise awareness about the ongoing Russian war on Ukraine among global civil society, media, world leaders, world leaders and governments. The campaign highlights the necessity for increased global support for Ukraine during the ongoing brutal war. The first uh, attempt of annexation of Ukrainian territory happened 20 years ago. On the 29th of September 2003, uh, without any warning, Russia began constructing a causeway to Tuzla to connect the island to the Russian shore. The act of hybrid Russian aggression against Ukraine focused on the small but strategically important island of Tuzla located in the middle of the Kerch Strait between the Black Sea and Azov Sea. 
The island was formed in 1925 after a severe storm endured the narrow spit of land that extended into the strait from the Taman Peninsula on the eastern side. Soviet authorities ruled that the island of Tuzla belonged to the Crimean Oblast, which became the part of Ukraine. After Ukraine declared its independence, the island, along with all the of Crimea, became the integral part of Ukraine's sovereign territory. On September 29, 2003, without any warning, Russia began constructing a causeway to Tuzla to connect the island to the Russian shore. The entire arsenal of Russian state propaganda was launched against Ukraine and its government on the international arena, claiming that Tuzla is not legally an island and that is supposedly Russian territory that has never been part of Crimea and therefore did not form part of Ukraine in 1991. The conflict over the island was so well, was also used by the Russian leadership to officially challenge Ukraine's claims to its waters in the Azov Sea and the Kerch Straits. Moscow also used the opportunity to study the reaction of Ukraine and the international community to respond to Russia's encroachment on sovereign Ukrainian territory. In response to Russia's aggressive actions, Ukraine dispatched a, a unit of, of border guards to Tuzla Island, followed by a visit by then-President Leonid Kuchma, who announced military exercises in the waters of the Kerch Peninsula. Kuchma later, later admitted that those events opened his eyes to the aggressive nature of Putin's Russia. So that was the pre-war attempt. Russia wanted to see how we reacted and are they allowed or not to uh, take advantage of Ukrainian territory. So uh, that was the first attempt uh, uh, to invade Ukraine. After that, silent invasion or non-military invasion started. We had that uh, five column, I can see this uh, in Ukrainian government. We had uh, that Mr. Yanukovych as president and a bunch of agents, of Russian agents in government. Like that uh, leader of our uh, special service was a Russian citizen. And there were a lot of Russians in all the uh, all the parts of the government, starting with uh, pro-Russian Yanukovych, and uh, ending with all the local special service uh, offices. And I can say that the, that was uh, the other part of demoralization. There were some discussions about making uh, Russian the second language. Cultural invasion also. So uh, th that was invasion on uh, several dimensions without uh, army invasion that time. Without using military, without using uh, force, without using fire. 
and uh, it was very, very effective. But after that, we chose European path and revolution and dignity happened to get away from Moscow. I think that was uh, the point on which that silent invasion uh, or non-military invasion uh, somehow stopped. And after silent invasion stopped, the, an actual invasion started. Mm -hmm. And we're getting back to uh, events that of 10 years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, that time I was in Crimea. So there were Russian tanks and Russian troops in Crimea. And everyone was talking about it. Like, uh, what happened? What was that? What is going to be? And no one understood what was happening, actually. How did they get there? There was a base, a military base in Sevastopol. It was part of uh, Black Sea uh, fleet mm -hmm. of Russia. I think that this uh, was prepared for a very long time. And they name the uh, reuniting, like they say, it, reuniting Crimea with Russia in March. But actually, it happened in February, mm -hmm. like their medal tells. And there were already some military guys, Ukrainian military guys, that broke their oath and joined Russian military. So that uh, prerequisites worked for them. And they there were uh, many traitors that took the side of Russia. Mm -hmm. as it was a lot of propaganda around revolution. Uh, they were talking about uh, that Russian language would be banned, that if you spoke Russian, you would be killed, and so on. I think that having that silent invasion, they didn't have to make this... Uh, military invasion. Military invasion. Mm -hmm. They already had us that time. What mo what meant the most is they had our minds. Well, not yours. <laughs> not everyone's, <laughs> but the majority. Mm. So that demoralization phase, they succeeded in it a lot. Not for everyone, but for majority. Yeah. So that was the invasion to Crimea. And that invasion, many people said that it was peaceful, uh, peaceful annexation, but no one talks about the amount of people who just disappeared. The amount of people who was who were imprisoned. And no one talks about the number of people who had to flee. And actually, a lot of people fled from Crimea that time, uh, becoming displaced persons in Ukraine, and were 
into replaced with people from Russia. And the population of Crimea changed from that time. But it was uh, uh, the first invasion, like the first phase in the instability in Ukraine itself. Like there was uh, much that wasn't obvious, that wasn't uh, very clear what was happening and who was uh, in charge of the country. They took advantage and took Crimea. And it's really hard for me to talk about it, really. Uh, <laughs> just every time, I, uh, while preparing to talk about it, I think, oh, I know everything. I was there. I can talk much about it. And when it comes to terms of when I talk to it, I'm just a bit muted because I cannot find right words or uh, overcome my emotions about it. So th that's a really hard one. Let's talk about the little green man. So the little green man appeared from a sudden like no one knew who they were, but everyone did. Everyone knew that it was they were either Russian militaries or traitors. Mm -hmm. That green man were uh, of the different disguise, like they were uh, from the eastern parts of or central eastern parts of Russia. They have very different appearance speaking very little Russian, very bad Russian. Right. And pretended to be uh, that they are just uh, self-defense, Crimea self-defense troops in some uniform. Mm. Some uniform without badges. That time, uh, Ukrainian army didn't have that uh, uniform like it has now. Mm -hmm. I think so. It was a little bit different. So no one would recognize it. And actually, people didn't know what was the uh, uniform. Mm -hmm. Everyone lived in peace. Everyone didn't know that was Ukrainian or Russian uniform. It's just uniform. Mm -hmm. So um, no one really uh, understood what happened. Were they everywhere in Crimea or just at military bases? Uh, they were definitely in the capital of Crimea, mm -hmm. in the capital city of Crimea, uh, in Simferopol. Mm, I myself witnessed uh, how they pulled off Ukrainian flag mm -hmm. and pulled Russian flag instead. And that was in February, in late February. So it wasn't uh, after so-called referendum. Mm -hmm. There were, were some uh, concerts that time, like in Simferopol. There was a concert that was uh, called Russian Spring. Mm -hmm. It was meant to be the uh, ethnic, ethnic festival, but it turned to be a political one and uh, invasional one. 
And uh, the day after that, uh, there was a big uh, gathering of people by the, it was Verkhovna Rad of Crimea, uh -huh. Parliament of Crimea. And uh, by that parliament, uh, many of people uh, gathered and uh, with Ukrainian flags and they were very pro-Ukrainian. There were a lot of Crimean Tatars there. And there was a big fight. That date was on the 26th of uh, February. But in that time, many of the military bases or uh, the military points in Crimea were already taken over. Some of them were still uh, holding Ukrainian flag, but many were already occupied. And so for me, it be, it all began in 2014. I wasn't actually home. I was on vacation in Berdyansk, famous Berdyansk. You know it now, but uh, I know it from my childhood since 12 years old. I was going there every uh, summer and spending time there. It's my actually favorite town in Ukraine. Favorite city is probably Donetsk and uh, then Kyiv is on the second place. But what uh, happened with Donetsk after 2014 is just, mm, it did, I mean, it disappeared. It stopped being itself and it became just a ghost of that amazing city that, that was very uh, developing and very advanced, I would say, because it was just like Kyiv back then. <clears throat> after that, it went back um, in time. And these days, it's just like 1970s there, I think. Maybe even further back in time, uh, further back. That construction is uh, kind of ridiculous in terms of English, I know, but that, that's how it happens there. Uh, so, yeah, it all began in 2014 when I was in Berdyansk. Uh, some military action started happening also in Makivka, where I'm from, and I decided to stay there in Berdyansk to wait a few weeks until it all ends because it all <clears throat> felt like we will uh, have a, a quick victory over the separatism and that our forces will um, get rid of all, <clears throat> all the invaders because they had some success in Slovyansk already then. And it, it was all going good. So we saw, it, okay, just, just a few weeks. Two weeks passed, and we decided to go not, uh, then to Sidovo, uh, which is also a village uh, on the coast of Azov Sea, uh, very close to the Russian border, close to Nov Novoazovsk, even closer to the border than Novoazovsk. So uh, in Sidovo, we spent another three weeks, but the war wasn't ending. And we decided that we should go to the western part of Ukraine, to Khmelnytsky Oblast, where um, a relative of our family lived. And we went there and we spent uh, around three months there. Uh, I started looking for a job there, uh, but it was pretty tough, uh, and pretty hard for me to find it. I was a automatic system security, no, not security, um, firefighting systems, uh, automatic firefighting systems in uh, 
many facilities in Kyiv, including, for example, Kyiv's aquapark. Uh, we were managing those systems. It was an interesting job, I must say. Um, and yeah, so I was trying to find some job by my profession there in Khmelnytsky and Rivne regions, but there was no good result. I had no uh, offers. Uh, I was struggling to find myself uh, a place to, to work for about two or three months even, uh, but there was no, um, no good result. So, and also we had uh, our cat, me and my wife, we weren't married back then, uh, but we already lived together. And we had two cats who were practically abandoned there in Makivka. Um, like the active military action already was ending. It was around November 2014. And we decided to go back because people were coming back already uh, and everything was kind of quiet there. I mean, um, back then in, in the end of 2014 in Makivka, they stopped shell, stopped the shelling. So it seemed uh, pretty cold. We, we came back then and we were living there for the next four and a half years, as I've told you. So this is this was not like a displacement to us uh, anymore. So we kind of came back, right? But it still felt like uh, we're not living where we lived before, you know, because it really wasn't Makivka and Donetsk anymore. Uh, but this was not the end. Uh, in 2019, I think it was back in 2018, I started realizing that nothing good is waiting for me there. There's no, There are no perspectives. There's, there's no future for us there because it's only stagnation and degradation also happening there. Uh, in terms of everything, uh, in terms of economics too and I I work in I was working as a salesman of electronics and PC builder uh, there in occupation uh, I was really um, enjoying the job especially the PC building and I wanted to you know uh, develop there uh, in that profession I wanted to build uh, a better bigger PCs and more advanced and there was no chance to do it there because you know first of all there were no clients who were willing to pay the money for some super advanced computers and they just uh, wanted to uh, buy something usually something uh, as cheap as possible uh, but for gaming you know uh, the the most common question there is when people are coming into the store and asking what can you offer me the cheapest that can uh, run this game. <laughs> so it was basically like that. And um, I decided that I need to go to some city uh, that is um, that has clients that can offer me some development. And uh, I, I didn't even think of what direction I should move. Uh, it was Kyiv, so I went here, but I stopped working on that profession because I needed a job fast, and there was an offer from a gaming company, um, and I started working as a gaming tester, 
you know, a QA engineer. So it was another displacement for me. Um, I started to live from the scratch. Well, my life from the scratch, yes. And uh, then in 2019, it was pretty hard because um, as a beginner, as a junior QA engineer, I earned so little. I won't even say <laughs> how much, but it was I was barely... Um, living for those money it was enough just to pay for the rent and for the basic food i cannot even afford myself a good food for the first year i think yeah it was pretty rough uh but then i started selling uh and then when i think i just found a new job and i started uh some yeah <laughs> some um Optimism started rising on the horizon <laughs> for me. Um, in two days, full-scale invasion began. And I was displaced again because uh, when we were sitting in Kyiv and then just one or 200 meters from us, a rocket came into the building that was pretty famous there in Kyiv. I think you can remember about... You know, one rocket that is uh, getting right through the tall building in Kiev, uh, the famous one. It was pretty close to us. Yeah, it was pretty close to us. It was uh, pretty loud and scary. And we decided that, you know, in, in the first days of full-scale invasion, it was so uncertain what's going to happen because Russians already poured into Kiev uh, in a few of tanks. Of course, the biggest number of them were stopped uh, before Kiev, but uh, they came in, some of them, and this was really scary and uncertain, and we decided to um, run to the western part of Ukraine. Uh, a friend of ours was living there already because uh, they were relocating, with a the husband, they were relocating to the western part of Ukraine, um, before the full-scale invasion, like a week before. Many companies here in Ukraine, especially IT companies, they uh, started thinking about, um, you know, displacing people or relocating them, to be um, precise, to the western part of Ukraine or out of Ukraine before, uh, like two or three weeks before the full-scale invasion. And uh, yeah, uh, so they, they were there. We decided to go there. Um, yeah, because actually, I would say, you know, that in the first days of full-scale invasion, millions of people were traveling there, uh, and they, to the western part, and so the roads were uh, overflown with uh, cars, and it was really slow um, to move through the highways here in Ukraine, especially the main ones, uh, so it took two days to move there but we didn't get there <laughs> we actually mm, were stopping in Lviv region oh, but yeah actually the, it was pretty close to the region that we were moving but we spent then two and a half months uh, in my friends um, who is also a, a volunteer and famous on my channel <laughs> uh, yeah, her grandpa actually sheltered us there for two and a half months. 
uh, we are very grateful to him and to her um, for that. So we spent two and a half months living there. And then when uh, Russians were drop, dropped off the Kyiv region, uh, when they were pushed out uh, by our army, uh, we decided to come back. We came back. Uh, we found, found ourselves a new apartment. Mm, but already in, you know, in few, in the first few months, uh, I changed completely. Uh, but I also realized one of the things I realized uh, already then is that um, probably I should not run anymore. Uh, and and I, I've been actually dedicated to stay here in Kyiv. Uh, I mean, situation right now on the front lines, it seems pretty much uh, critical right now. And if we won't break it you know, with uh, multiplying the number of FPV drones, then this uh, might be something critical and who knows if if everything goes bad of course i don't believe it but you you know you got to believe in good in the best but prepare for the worst so i am uh, thinking that yeah if russians are coming close to kiev again which i don't believe in but anyway i am not planning to go anywhere because that's enough of displacement for me so after these uh, years, that was the phase called pre-full-scale. Uh, I, call, I can call it pre-full-scale. Uh, the world was very aware of it. All the intelligences told that there would be invasion. Uh, all the embassy embassies were evacuated from Kiev. Uh, for about two or three months, uh, many people told that it there's gonna be a war. There's gonna be a war. So everyone uh, were taught to uh, to have this go bag. What to put there? Uh, everyone was. Um, many people talk, talked about uh, the importance of having this uh, first aid, uh, medical first aid courses uh, to know how to uh, provide this first aid to uh, fellow people. I realized that there would be war, but I didn't realize the scale of it. When did you realize? The final understanding that it happened, it is it has already started, was on the 21st of February, when there was Putin's speech on recognition of uh, Donbass, uh, of of Donetsk and Luhansk Republic, uh, People Republic, or whatever. That was the uh, the understanding that it has started. But a couple of days before that, I remember uh, having a walk uh, and understanding, having this understanding that it is going to happen. But I thought that it would be a full-scale war, not full-scale war, but uh, obvious war in the East. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that they would 
be uh, shelling other cities of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And uh, having underst this understanding that it already happened and it already started, I actually did nothing that day. And uh, on the, uh, in the morning of uh, the 24th of February, at five o'clock in the morning, I get I received that call from a friend uh, who is military, uh, who told me, "Gather your stuff and go to east to the western part of Ukraine. The war has started." Days before that, I read much about it about uh, what could happen, what might happen. And uh, there was that phrase, the, the expression that told, if you are not in military, just don't distract them. Just stay away and don't distract them. Let them do their job. And that was the main thing at the first days. Not to interfere, not to make them do it harder. I didn't manage to uh, leave for the western part of Ukraine that days. Uh, me and my friends, we went to the village to my friends' uh, parents. Uh, to the eastern part of, uh, to the east from Kiev. And we spent three weeks there until uh, we knew that uh, Russian troops were in the second village to the village we were in. And that time uh, we decided to go to the western part of Ukraine. It was uh, rather hard to find the uh, right road, right path, as uh, on the northern western part were Russian troops already. Northern Russian, uh, northern western part is uh, Bucha and Rostomel. And we uh, have chosen that path that would be safe or at least uh, conditionally safe. And we spent two days uh, riding to the western part. Uh, it was very stressful ride. There were oh, very many checkpoints. <laughs> and that was the funny story that on one checkpoint we uh, we rode through the villages and uh, approaching one of the checkpoints in one in some village there were a group of men on the checkpoint like uh, they were not military they were just uh, the inhabitants of that village they had guns uh, maybe some uh, uh, non-military guns 
mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. hunting guns. Hunting rifles. Yeah. And uh, yeah, 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 hunting rifles. And uh, while we were approaching them, they pointed that guns on us. <laughs> that was very scary. <laughs> we felt safe. Uh, we were between our people. Yeah. And I remember the very first day of coming to that village. Uh, the only thing that was in my mind, I was very focused that time. Uh, I was uh, banned from all the emotions. I was very uh, firm and uh, concentrated. And the only thing that uh, sounded in my mind or rolled in my mind was Ukrainian anthem. I don't know why, <laughs> but it was the only thing that was in my mind, like constantly on the repeat, like it was uh, some uh, soundtrack, or I had it in my headphones. It was just in my head at the very first day. Um, uh, so uh, in that three weeks, we uh, went to the western part of Ukraine, and uh, we tried to do what we could do, do some uh, domestic volunteering, uh, donating. So what could we do that time? And in May, we already uh, returned back to Kyiv. That was my personal personal story, a non-personal story that uh, just the general story is that first days were very uneven for many people. Were very uh, uh, not frustrating. Were very scary to everyone. Like no one knew what would happen. And that time, the Ukrainian society, as we have this ability, we united that much. Uh, there were no such unity for centuries. I remember I woke up on the morning of the twenty fourth. February um, 2022 and my phone was just going mad with notifications about what was about what was happening um, and kind of my first reaction was kind of sort of this 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 is not happening like there's, there's no this can't be real um, and it was just like the, kind of the, the the sort of the horror of what was going on of, of you know reading about the attacks um all across Ukraine, but in particular in places where 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 I had friends and 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 a family, it, it was a real yeah. I mean, it it it, it was a real shock. I think to, obviously to, to to me and and, and to most people, um, you know, sort of just trying to coordinate what what was just trying to coordinate in my head. So what what actually is happening here? Like, what is the what is the point? What is going on? Um, um, and yeah, it was it was a very it was a very difficult time um obviously b- b- because um nobody knew where this was going to be nobody knew what the point of this was um and obviously even now we are, we are still you know the ukraine is still suffering under this but um on that day itself um i the first thing i did was i i just wrote to everybody just basically asking are you you know are, are you okay are you all right is, is is everybody fine um and I decided 
pretty early on that I was going to close the school for a short period of time um, for two reasons. One, obviously, students have got no desire to be learning English when there's missiles and bombs and Russian soldiers everywhere. Um, but also as well, because I wanted to do something to uh, to help um, within this. And so I decided that would be a better use of my time. Um, so I contacted uh, a Ukrainian news organization, uh, Svidomi, uh, to ask if they needed uh, any to need any help. And they did. Um, and so for the first few days, I was working as a volunteer uh, translator and proofreader um, uh, for the news in, in English. Uh, so that basically so that people can know, so that the world can know what was happening in, in Ukraine. And um, for the first three days, I didn't sleep at all. I, I didn't get a single wink of sleep because um, there was just so much happening. And I decided that my, you know, the, the, the soldiers don't get to sleep. So neither do I basically was kind of my, my, my sort of uh, my thought process. Um, and yeah, I was just, trying to help as much as I could just trying to get sort of as much of the um uh as much of the news into English as I possibly could um and I was also um trying to also coordinate I also helped to coordinate some cars as well for people who were um I had a few for example a few students in Kiev who were trying to leave and so I organized for them to to meet up and then they all got into one car and drove to the border and so basically my whole experience was just trying to help uh, as much as as much as I could during this process, but it, it was just it was a really awful time because at that time, I mean, you know, the the, the Russians were obviously that uh, they captured large parts of Ukraine, which are still under occupation. They were getting close to Kiev at that point, and it was a really, yeah. I, I, I when I think about it now, it is it, it still feels like a slightly, you know, it still feels like a traumatic experience, just because I, I'd never experienced anything like that before, and. You know, it's it's it was um, it was a really horrible time to go through as it was. Sounds completely unreal. Yeah, it 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 really was. It was, I mean, and it was also. I think I think kind of the shock of it as well was also because the the, the there were also the attacks in areas that people presumably thought were safe previously. Anyway, because like in Lutz, for example, there is a uh, there is a military airfield which was hit on the on the in the morning of, of, of the of the first day of the attack, which is you know a hell of a long way from uh, from Russia. And there were also strikes in Novgorodivsk and Lviv, and obviously in, in the west. And I think at that point, it was just so unexpected that, that it was going to be sort of as wide scale as it was the the, the full scale invasion. And yeah, it was a mm. um, yeah it was a very challenging time, and obviously it still is. But you know, Ukraine is. Ukraine is still here. It still still stands, and yeah, it always will. They, you know, they can they can attack, they can bomb, but they can never destroy the Ukrainian people. That's never going to happen. So I just wanted to share uh, two stories from the first days of full scale invasion. As we were traveling to Lviv Oblast through Khmelnytsky Oblast, um, our car got broken. We stopped, and we couldn't uh, really jump start again. So um, we met a guy who was just traveling through the highways and helping people to repair their cars. He's a car mechanic and he just, he was like for the first days, for the first week, he was traveling around Khmelnytsky highways uh, and, and just stopping and helping people. So he, wow. uh, we actually managed to jump started and, and come to his home to his garage 
and th his family fed us his family uh cuddled us you know with <laughs> worms of their home and they really um yeah it was so touching he didn't want to take money for the car repair and yeah so he did it for free uh i'm i'm so grateful and i, I was back then you know there was i think one of the this was a a revelation for me to be honest i i never thought before i mean i knew people like him but it was something like like a discovery for me um then i realized uh that people in ukraine are different uh, they they are not like russians who are only thinking about themselves as i i must say uh, a lot of there in culture in the eastern part at least in my surrounding was more like that than than like this ukrainian way we i was raised not not all of the people were like me there but i was raised as a um as in hmm, i would say more like think for yourself and about yourself person than uh help others like you first you know like you gotta think about yourself uh and i could have just walked past some people uh in critical situations and needs but uh, luckily I've changed. And this was one of the examples that opened my eyes and uh, made me realize that people are different and I, I should be more like them. Yeah, and this proverb or saying uh, that my, uh, my, uh, my mm -hmm. house side is not actually about Ukrainians. It's more about yes, Russians. Yeah. It's about Russians, that's it. Yeah, so the second story is just like yours. When we were sheltered uh, the same day, we came to Vinitsa, uh, just like you to Vinitsa region. Um, we came there and we stayed uh, in the Artinov. Uh, this place is called, it is a co-working, but also like a anti-cafe and on the first floor, amazing place. So we were the first... Um, what do you call displaced people or, you know, Timchasovi Pereselensi, we call them mm -hmm. here in Ukraine. Uh, so we were just first to visit their shelter. It was the third day of full scale invasion. Yeah. They made us uh, a the tastiest borscht I've ever tried in my life, to be honest. <laughs> of course, it was the tastiest after, um, what, 20 hours of ride. And I think that's why, but, but still, uh, they were so welcoming. So, um, carrying, they fed us, they, uh, provided us, uh, like a sofas to stay because they, they weren't, um, meant to, to take people, you know, for like to live there, but they, now we have 200 people living in here and I just, what how can 200 people fit in there <laughs> this was crazy but yeah a lot of uh, they sheltered a lot of people so a huge shout out to artinov in vinitsa region mm, they are just amazing uh so yeah that's uh 
just two examples of many examples that um, of those, you know, help to your uh, citizen <laughs> kind of stories. Fun fact. Historical record. Ukrainians opened the largest number of entrepreneurships in the second year of the war. The second year of the Great War seemed difficult, difficult for our country and probably the scenarios of the development of the events at the front predict a long-term war and life in conditions of lack of clear planning. Despite all the difficulties, Ukrainians, including Ukrainian entrepreneurs, continue to show proactivity and resilience. According to the results of research conducting using their Uh, your control market tool, it was found that during the second year of this full-scale war, Ukrainians opened a record number of entrepreneurships over the last decade, almost 315,000, and the number of newly created companies increased by 60% compared to the figures uh, in 2022, and among companies, the, the field of construction has grown significantly. Starting with the first days, we had uh, so many memes from that time. We had so many jokes. And those jokes starting to appear at the very first days, actually. Yeah. That's also <laughs> one of the... Coping mechanism. Make memes. Yeah. <laughs> like coping mechanism, uh, I think it's great, actually. Yeah, it's cool. So that's um, that's just who we are. Mm. We're joking on that points that no one would joke. Yeah. We have tragedy around us, but we are still joking. We have this life threat, but we are joking and we are laughing. That's one of the... peculiarities of Ukrainian nation and in that first days we realized and many uh, many things told that uh, there was there was that myth about second world greatest army or third great uh, greatest army in the world or second one I don't really remember which one they call themselves it was constantly called the second army of the world Yeah, second army in the world, and uh, everyone in the world realized they weren't. Mm. They thought, and it was their strong belief, that they would invade Ukraine, change government in Kiev in three days, and have this parade on Khrushchev, on our main street. In the capital of Ukraine, Kiev. And that's so arrogant, that's so self assured, they were so self assured that they didn't even prepare much 
you know, before uh, full-scale innovation started, we were provided with military aid to have this partisan war. We were not provided with uh, right ammunition or right uh, um, arms. We were provided with uh, to to make this war uh, partisan-like. So, I think that people that countries that provided us with uh, military aid thought that Ukraine would uh, fall and there would be some partisans who would fight back. So that they gave us and laws and javelins. But the things turned out differently. We fought them back. We are still fighting. And I don't think we'll stop. So that was the first... Um, the first time of the full scale after that things just start started to uh, not come down but uh, become usual death became usual victims became usual and there became um, the uh, a lot of threats like uh, nuclear bombs threat nuclear explosion on uh, the Parisia, uh nuclear plant uh, the threat of second uh, invasion on kiev involving belarus belarusian army to that and the threats are just very constant and from time to time there are new and new threats and this uh, i can say that it is another dimension of the war it's informational war and this informational war sometimes uh, russia takes invention advantage in it they are using that world proxies like these useful idiots from different countries. They use far lefts and far rights to, to spit out their agenda and to prevent uh, the governments of different countries to give military aid or financial aid to Ukraine. Let's uh, get to our numbers. I have gathered some statistics. So uh, the first one is uh, air raid alerts due since 24th February 2022. The uh, sum of the duration of all the alerts throughout all the regions of Ukraine is uh, 2,555 days 
11 hours and 48 minutes. The uh, total amount of alerts is 33,945. Since 24th of February 2022, the media reports about explosions is 9,193 reports. So that's the amount that of the explosions that are reported at media. It's only uh, what was reported. The total uh, amount of alerts is 997. The duration, total duration is 47 days and five minutes. And uh, the average alert duration is one hour and seven minutes. And the, long, the longest one is six hours and 51 minutes. And media reports about explosions is 157. That are the numbers of uh, alerts. I looked into uh, the reports of uh, Come Back Alive Foundation. They raised $315 million. And speaking of uh, Ukraine, uh, United 24, like government foundation, they collected uh, $604 million. For today, for the 22nd of February 2024, uh, so according to the general staff of uh, the military of Ukraine, the total uh, the information is the total combat losses of the enemy. The personnel is approximately 407,240 people, 6,523 tanks, 12,373 APV, 9,867 artillery system, 997 multiple rocket launchers, 680 anti-aircraft warfare systems, 339 aircraft, 325 helicopters, 7,596 operational drones, 1903 or 1,903 cruise missiles, 25 boats or cutters, uh, 12,924 vehicles, 1,566 special equipment, and one submarine. So that's are the uh, tremendous losses of uh, our enemy. And still they won't stop. I don't know how much uh, would it take for them just to stop. Okay. And you know what I think? I think that uh, that experience of unity will help to us in the future. I have this strong feeling that it will help because such type of experience it's it's uh, 
well, uh, it affects very deeply. I have these feelings. And uh, as Vitaly said, like when uh, full scale invasion started, I, I personally, I was, I freeze it because I react on the stress like opossum. <laughs> I'm freezing. <clears throat> and when they saw how uh, Ukrainians are looking for ways to help Ukrainian army, and uh, I understood that we have actually the ways to survive. And it helps me to unfreeze, unfreeze. <laughs> and move on and move on because I saw uh, reactions, I saw actions from another Ukrainians and it helps me to understand that it is not the end. We're still here and we're still fighting. Okay, happy end. Do, do, do.